midway first, you know, like the top. Anyway, I thought that was real. Oh, and then it had a sign on the side, like, abstain from all alcohol and any food that encourages dancing. I thought that was really relevant. Yeah, no idea, really. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to do it up the I'm just going to have to stay up because it's not working. Okay. Hmm. Let's find my passage. Oh, there it is. Okay. So, this is what we get when we have a garden event scheduled on Sunday, and then it gets changed two days before. We talk about demons at church, because that's the most relevant thing that comes to mind. Okay, uh, so I'm going to be reading, this is also in your handout, out of Matthew chapter 8, verse, starting in verse 28. When he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, Two demoniacs coming out of the tombs met him. They were so fierce that no one could pass that way. Suddenly they shouted, What have you to do with us, Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now, a large herd of swine was feeding at some distance from them. The demons begged him, If you cast us out, send us into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and entered the swine, and suddenly the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the water. The swine herds ran off and on going into the town, told the whole story about had, what had happened to the demoniacs. Then the whole town came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave their neighborhood. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, I've been wondering, what does it take for a whole neighborhood to come out and ask a stranger to leave the neighborhood? I wonder what it would take us, what it would take for a stranger to come into our neighborhood and do something so crazy, so bad, that we would all, as a mob, go out and meet that stranger and ask them to leave the neighborhood. Because generally I feel like we're kind of a neighborhood that welcomes the stranger. So, you know, when people move in, we bring them a welcome basket or... Uh, if someone shows up, we welcome them and try to get to know them. Generally, I would say that we try to be hospitable and welcoming 
to the strangers that arrive in our midst. Maybe we even welcome them into our homes. Uh, like Lydia did, the lady who heard what Paul and Silas had to say, was baptized, and she insisted that they come into her home. Maybe we set a table for them in our houses. But at the very least, well, we will at the very least invite them to a community potluck, right? At least we can find a common space at the table. So yes, our community is growing some good things. Not the least of which is the community garden across the street that we just planted for the year yesterday, and many of you came out to help. And as today is Earth Day, and a day to sort of celebrate what the Earth provides for us, sunshine, food, unlimited potential for life, uh, we also recognize that we are called as the people of God to be stewards of the earth, to care for creation, and to uh, do that. Uh, that means thinking about the ways that we consume and the ways that we uh, interact with creation from manufacturing practices to tending bees and gardens and so we have a responsibility as God's hands and feet to call into questions the ways that our human existence is causing the extinction of animals, rainforests. Not only that, but we also recognize that creation provides for us really some of the base examples of uh, theological concepts that we ascribe to. So how do we know about Resurrection from death to life, uh, except through creation, through burying a seed, and life comes from the death of the life of something else. And if you look in the parables, almost every parable uh, is an agricultural uh, story that we can hardly understand in our air-conditioned boxes when we're so disconnected from nature. And so, as a part of the church of the Nazarene, here and now in this world, um, we must include the connection to the earth and creation as a part of our own sanctification and the propagation of our own distinctive doctrine that we are proud of. And practically, as we saw yesterday, working the soil becomes yet another way we recognize the connectedness of all of our lives to the earth, to each other, and even to Christ. But, back to my question, what does it take for a neighborhood to come out and ask a stranger to leave? What kind of action would bring out those kinds of demons in us? <coughs> to make us so inhospitable? Hmm. Jesus came in, and when Jesus came in, he came uh, to the tombs. Jesus, this story is told in the book of Matthew. 
And Matthew is, has a very distinctive perspective. Matthew is talking to Jews. So if you're a Jew, uh, Jesus, and, and you're trying to, to tell Jews Jesus is the Messiah, and you tell this story about Jesus coming to this Gentile town, that which by its nature would be unclean, and Jesus gets off this boat that he's been traveling on, and he walks up to the tombs, which are unclean. And then out of the tombs comes these uh, men possessed by demons or unclean spirits. You kind of start to get this picture of what is actually happening when the people that... that Matthew's talking to us here this story. They are hearing Jesus, this enactor of the kingdom, is entering all these places that are unclean. And when the men with the demons come out, those demons, it's like forceful. It's like they cannot stay within the presence of this kingdom of God that Jesus is bringing to this place, right? And so the demons must leave the men. They must go out. And where do the demons go? Into the pigs. An unclean animal. And then the pigs go down into the water. Now, there's something really cool happening with the water. If you know about, if you have read the Psalms, you know there's all of these metaphors of water. And the water is often this, this jaw of death. It's like, do not let the flood waters wash over me. In the Psalms, uh, the waters are this place of Sheol, the Hebrew concept of the land of the dead. But what's happening as this passage opens up is that in these pigs going into the water, we have to scale back and see that in the passage right before this, Jesus is on a boat and on this boat, the waves and the wind are going crazy, and Jesus is asleep. And the disciples are like, wake up, Jesus, we're going to die. And Jesus wakes up, and with his voice, calms the wind and the waves. And the disciples say, who is this? That even the wind and the waves obey Jesus. So this place of death that, that, that the Hebrews would have seen as kind of this land of Sheol, Jesus in the passage before has just shown his authority over. If this doesn't scream of like some preview of Easter, you know, I don't know what does. It's like, here Jesus is. If you don't see it, we'll just call you one of the disciples because they didn't see it either. Like the... the the water has been controlled, the place of the dead, and then and then these demoniacs enter the pigs, and the pigs enter the water, which Jesus has already shown his dominion over. And so as this as we go into this passage, you I start to think of things like the phrase, death has been swallowed up in victory, or where O oh, death is your victory, where O oh, death is your sting. Jesus has overcome, and that nothing, not even death, can hold Jesus back. And that that is good news. Or at least for 
the people who are possessed by the demons. God's healing, God's restoration. The kingdom of God has broken into this person's life who has been possessed by a demon. And now they are free. And the whole neighborhood celebrated and came out in a glorious party. No. <laughs> That's not how the neighborhood saw it. To them, it was like a stranger had come in with a bulldozer and bulldozed their community garden. Right? But it was even a worse offense than that. Because to them, these pigs weren't some pet community project that they had worked towards, some sort of thing that they were trying to build up. It was their income. It was their livelihood that was being threatened or was threatened by Jesus sending these demons, these pigs into the sea, right? That, that, God, that Jesus allowed the demons to go into the pigs. It was like if a stranger came in and, and took something that we really cared about, not just the community garden, but something that actually personally we had such a vested interest in. I mean, what if some stranger came in and bulldozed our houses? I mean, crazy, right? How would we feel about that? What if someone came in and took the things that really mattered to us? What if it took and it cost us a lot for the kingdom of God to step into our neighborhood and exercise the demons that we are pretty comfortable with hanging out in the corner by the tombs. The demons that reside in places that we've kind of like either forgotten about or just kind of given up on. They can't change. That won't be different. But we're okay. You know, we've got our, we've got our projects going on. The people, you know the people. The people who hang out so close to disaster and death, it's almost easy to avoid them. People who act hideous. The people that we won't go out of our way for. Or, like in the story of Acts, the people that we dehumanize or use for our own benefit like the girl who had the spirit, to make money, or in our case, to save money, rolling back prices so we can buy stuff cheap so that we can have prosperity. But what demons does God want to exercise in our corner of the world, in our neighborhood? When I was a kid, my favorite Disney movie was Beauty and the Beast. And uh, as you all know, has anyone not seen Beauty and the Beast? Because there are lots of versions of it, okay? No one has not seen it good. Okay, so at the beginning of Beauty and the Beast, there's this really inhospitable act, right? Like this woman comes, and the prince is like, it's going to cost too much, not really into that. And then the, the old woman's, 
haggard appearance transforms into, see I haven't memorized, transforms into this beautiful uh, uh, enchantress. And she, she makes the beast look, on, the prince look on the outside, how he looks on the inside. And, and that's how the story begins, but you learn very quickly in the story that the beast is not the real beast. And one of the main things about the story is that you can change, right? The beast that you may be is not the beast that you have to be. And so throughout the rest of the story, you can kind of get this uncovering. That a little bit more is uncovered, a little bit more is uncovered. That this beast, that when Story watched this, she was so scared of the beast. I'm like, just wait. <laughs> just wait, you know. Uh, the beast is not the real beast. You start to realize that it's, it's that when the beast is revealed, when the beast comes out, the true beast is revealed. And the true beast is this guy, the most popular guy in town that all the women want, who says, let's go kill the beast. Right? It's Gaston. Gaston is revealed as this true beast. It's like when the beast comes out, the true beast comes out. And it's like that in this story. Because when the demons come out, the true demons come out. The people in the town who are fearful of what will happen to them now, who don't know if they want to or can pay the cost of this kingdom to break in, who are afraid of the stranger, who don't want to lose anything significant. Hey, we're cool if you're just a stranger and you're not doing anything to hurt us. But if you're out healing people and it, you know, kind of costs us something, I'm not sure that we're interested in what you're selling. What would it take for a neighborhood to come out and say and ask a stranger to leave? So I'm going to get like real practical for a minute. And I also want to say that these are not like, I'm not going to say this as a political statement. Sometimes I might say that. This is not a political statement. I just want to kind of reveal maybe some of the ways that we are so predictable as humans when it comes to if something's going to cost me something personally that I maybe am not willing to pay, our hospitality may quickly vanish, right? So um, I'm just going to talk about two things, uh, and they're all very easy to find. If you drive a couple blocks, you'll find them. They're yard signs. Uh, there's two yard signs in our neighborhood right now. Um, and the first yard sign... Um, uh, they just say, no tiny village. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what motivated all of those yard signs. I, I, it, I don't know. But if you don't know, what's going on is that there is a group trying to put a homeless tiny village at a church in our neighborhood. And there's been a huge community outcry no tiny village. And um, so much so that there's been a lawsuit. The lawsuit, uh, the neighborhood, the neighbors that brought the lawsuit lost the lawsuit. So there will be a tiny, tiny, tiny house village for a homeless recovery program coming. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah. 
I can't imagine that those signs were brought about by anything else other than just fear of what this might mean for the neighborhood, what this might cost us, what I might have to change because of this, or just fear of the stranger, or maybe just prejudice. Second yard sign, uh, it's a little bit more transparent. There's signs all around right now. No transit tax. And let me tell you, that negative advertising, I get it like every day in the mail, like these big things, I'm like, man, this is costing a lot. No transit tax. So obvious. I mean, what people don't want is it to cost me something. That doesn't say no transit. You can have transit all you want. I just don't have to pay for it. As much as it might help someone, even in the tiny village, as much as it might help someone, I'm not willing to pay that cost. And the negative mailers say specifically the cost, which is so helpful when you're kind of trying to cultivate this fear and this, uh, you know, this inhospitality, this thinking, this empathy. It's like, oh, this is going to cost you $43,000. Isn't that what they say? 43000 something, whatever, or other? Yeah. It's kind of predictable in that way. There are no lack of reasons to stop the flow of hospitality. To be filled with the demons that will send God away. The question is, do we prefer our demons tucked away in the corners of our neighborhoods? And our hearts? to the kingdom of God? Will we worship fear or the Father? When the kingdom of God comes close with power, will we open our doors and our hearts? It makes me wonder, man, those demon-possessed men, those demons weren't the powerful ones, right? The demons that were the powerful ones were the ones that controlled the people of the neighborhood. The ones of fear. The ones of anger. Those were the demons that sent Jesus away. So will we open the door and worship like Lydia did? when she heard the gospel from Paul and Silas? Will we worship, meaning, will we give over our lives to the service of God, even if it means great cost, great hardship, even imprisonment, like Paul and Silas experienced? Or will we welcome God? like Lydia did with the disciples. Facing our own demons, the ones that come out when the demons come out. The ones that come out when these issues come up. And hope and pray to be healed of them. Let's pray. you would open your, our hearts 
the kingdom of God that comes in power. That we may, we may see this kingdom, that we may see your triumph over all of these things in the resurrection of Jesus. May all the death be demystified. And may the true demons be revealed. May you give us a spirit of hospitality that opens the door to the kingdom of God in our midst, no matter what the cost. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.